Hello and welcome to Project Between, a podcast about third culture kids and their experiences growing up between many cultures. I'm your host Hannah and today my guest is a British Indian third culture kid and a Koreaphile who shares her love of Korea through her delightful cartoons, articles, blogs and so much more. Thank you so much for joining the program today all the way from London. Welcome to the show. Dia. Thank you so much for having me, Hannah. Yeah, it's a pleasure. I haven't seen you in several years now. The last time was in Seoul. Uh, I hope you've been doing well through all the stuff that's been happening in the world. Yeah, I, I have. It's been, I mean, it's been challenging like everyone else. Um, I mean, separate family and then, you know, like, yeah, I've been like having family challenges and my, unfortunately, my, my father passed during COVID, so like a year ago. But um, I mean, it's just, brought my family together a bit more so yeah it's been it's been a bit crazy but um I'm looking forward to at some point coming to Korea once <laughs> like I can and maybe catching up with you in person face to face because that would be lovely yeah that would be so so nice and I know you're really into Korean culture you've visited like seven or eight times eight times <laughs> wow yeah so I look forward to seeing you on your ninth trip <laughs> and uh yeah and and as I mentioned before it's it's so nice having you on the show today and I was really happy to find out that you are one of us a third culture kid and yeah I'm, I'm really curious to hear your answers to the questions that I'll pose today without further ado let's start uh, with the TCK questionnaire to give our listeners some more background on your upbringing. And yeah, I'm, I'm super excited. So uh, let's start with the basics. Tell us your name and nationality, please. So my name is Dia Mitra and my nationality is British. Right. And where were you born? So I was born in India. And of course, when I was born in India, I had uh, Indian nationality. But when I was 20, I then changed my nationality to British. Oh, I see. I see. Uh, so what what uh, age were you when you moved to the UK? So I was about four, like four years old when we came here. And before that, um, we, I was living in Hong Kong. Uh, and we lived, so my dad had an international banking job. And because of his international banking job, we lived back and forth, you know, uh, mm -hmm. like he was transferred to many places. Um, and up until the age of three, and I don't know if I'm going ahead of the questions. <laughs> oh, yes, like, yes. So, yeah, please do tell us uh, <laughs> in which countries did you grow up? Um, and, okay. and you've already started. So you were living in Hong Kong uh, when you were like five or six, I would assume? Yes, yeah, and that's where I learned to ride my bike without wheels, which I know is not like a huge achievement, but for me, <laughs> yeah, that, that was like the you know without the training wheels at the time. Um, so yeah, I, I was in in Hong Kong, and in that at that time, for like three to to, to six, I was I learned uh, uh, like and I read a lot. I learned to um, yeah, learned to read from that age, and I was weirdly taught because I remember my mom told me that. Um, I was taught by an English teacher how to, so a British lady, how to read it in, in Hong Kong. 
And then from the age of six, uh, well, we came to the UK. I know I said four, but that was like we came in between as well. And then when we came at the age of six, um, I have an older brother. So my parents put us into school over here. And then up until the age of 10, my parents were very conscious that we didn't have like our Indian culture because we were living in the UK and it was also the first time for them and their lives. They had been brought up in India, um, but they had gone to boarding school when they were younger. So they're very much like boarding school children. Mm -hmm. And it was possible like the culture at the time, you know, like it was the in thing to send your kids to boarding school, but in India. So they were debating whether to like, okay, how do we, you know, give our kids this sort of Indian culture and heritage so they don't lose it. And they decided to put my brother firstly in boarding school, but in India, of course, uh, whilst we were in the UK. And so he went ahead because uh, he's two and a half years older to me. And um, unfortunately, they, they discovered that <laughs> the UK education system and the Indian education system big difference regardless of you know your age so when he had gone there he was then put back a year so he was like you know it's completely different to everyone else just because of his level of education and understanding um so to avoid that happening to me um when I was 10 I then went to live for a year in India with my mom and I went to day school there because the plan was eventually then I could go to boarding school. So I went to an international school where the level of education or disparity between like the UK and India was a little, you know, like it was less. I didn't have to be put back a year. And that way I could study like Hindi, which I was not great at. And that's my um, my mother tongue. Um, because I had, like my parents spoke to me until the age of three in Hindi and a mixture of Hindi and English. But then it kind of stopped when we were in Hong Kong and subsequently back in the UK. Um, so, yeah. And then uh, I learned that when I was in Calcutta for the year and I went to international school and I learned like everything else. Mm -hmm. Oh, wow. So you finished high school in Calcutta then? So uh, at the age of 10 to 11, mm -hmm. then I went to, from 11, I went to boarding school uh I went to boarding school in India so I'm just trying to think it's not high school so high school actually I did here in the UK okay yeah so I was in boarding school uh for two and a half years and uh and then for that time so this was like my parents were living in the UK I was living in India and it wasn't very common for a lot of like my, you know, my classmates, uh, for people to be living abroad, maybe one or two. Um, so it was interesting because friendships became very, oh, look, she's from like abroad. She can get us the latest CDs and DVDs. So like <laughs> you learn to know who your friends were, yeah. you know, because it was a it was a very attractive cause to have like a friend who was living abroad and stuff so um that was a very interesting time for me but the time but what happened was my parents decided that for us to have like maybe a better education they decided to pull us out to boarding school uh so then we we schooled uh here so I schooled in in the in in, in the UK and then making that transition between the culture back from like very Indian culture, very strict, very, um, uh, because my, my, my boarding school obviously was a boarding school and it had like 
connotations of like strict teachers and you can't talk back and you have to be very respectful and all of that. So coming here to the UK where children are swearing at teachers, I mean, this doesn't always happen, <laughs> walking into the classroom and then like hearing someone talk back to the teacher was enough even like, and then to contemplate swearing was another level. So yeah, it was quite a shock for me <laughs> to adjust to that. Um, especially like when you're, you know, yeah, when you're quite young and like on the border of being a teenager and that sort of thing. Oh, wow. I had no idea. I thought you'd moved to the UK from India when you were a child and just sort of lived there your whole life. But it turns out there was a lot of moving. A lot of in between, yeah. I mean, my, patient, my parents were stationed here, which is, you know, the, the UK. But then it was right. just like going back and forth. And then it was really funny because we... I mean, it's funny the thoughts you have when you're a child and then how they stay with you. Um, and I felt if we were going to continue in boarding school, I felt that we would not see our parents grow up because we had like, we spent a lot of time abroad, like in India. And the majority of time we got to spend with our parents was during the Christmas season because where I was stationed in terms of where I was in boarding school was in the hills, sort of towards the north in India. Okay. And it was really, really cold during December, January. So, like, normally summer months would be the longer holidays, but for us the winter months were longer because it was just, you know, not feasible to to have, like, long... Um, it was feasible for us to have long winter holidays. Uh, so I was always thinking, oh, by the time, like, you know, I get to, like, I don't know, like, uh, 17, 18, my parents would be, like, I'm going to be grown up. I won't have, like, seen my parents grow up because I don't actually see them. But, unfortunately, things changed slightly where my my dad decided not for us to, like, finish school, but to take us out and put us into education here. Mm-hmm. Wow. So what, what was that experience like for you, attending an international school in India and then coming back to the UK? For me, it was fun because, well, like I, I was trying to rack up like air miles as well when I was younger because we were using like going on planes and traveling, a lot of like uh, traveling internally in India. And as I said, like my boarding school was up north. So we'd have to like use the trains. It's almost, I don't want to say Harry Potter like, but it was very sort of like Harry Potter like boarding school, except without all the fancy magic, you know. And, um, like comfortable trains and the suites it was completely different um, but yeah it was it was interesting and the, but the transition coming back here was I think the most challenging and sometimes you don't always realize it growing up but when you look back like you understand the diversity in culture and myself and my brother had a very strong Indian accent oh really School, very very strong and very nasal which I will not demonstrate to you here <laughs> um, like everyone has a certain dialect and, um, and yeah it was very strong so when we came we were pulled out of school and you know pulled out of boarding school and we were pulled, put into school here we were both really conscious of this so we masked our accents if you know like what I mean because we didn't want to stand out so we were like using like our British accents mm-hmm. which is very strange and then of course when we'd speak to our parents we would speak in our normal voice I'm using air quotes not you probably can't, can't see but um which was quite strange because when I would speak to my parents 
you know, in front of my friends, they'd be like, oh, what happened? Your accent switched. I'm like, oh, <laughs> it's just, you know, respectful. <laughs> so, yeah, really, really conscious of that. So, um, and then I realized, okay, I'm going to try, when I speak to my parents in front of my friends, I will still speak in my accent. So my parents would know, ah, okay, they're with their friends. So we uh, <laughs> would That is so yeah. funny. I, I totally get what you mean about the accents because I think you've you asked me this once before about my accent because I used to have a very thick South African accent until mm -hmm. age like 15 16 and and that's when I moved to an international American school and for the first time in my life I realized that I had this accent that was different from everyone else and I tried so hard to mask it like you said and to assimilate and I don't know and like over the course of I don't know the past like 10 15 years it's become this which most people say sounds more American than anything else but I think even now if I spend a significant amount of time with somebody from South Africa or even somebody who's British I'll start to sort of mimic and parrot Yes, yes. Mm. I, I find myself doing that as well, actually, which is very interesting. And then you're thinking, I don't have an American accent. Why am I, <laughs> why am I like, but I, I think it's a way of, um, and this is, I think I read somewhere where it's not like you're mimicking them, but you're basically, you're, it's a way of reassuring them because you're on the same wavelength. Yeah. Like, and I don't know, it's like, I don't know whether it's a TK, uh, TCK syndrome, but <laughs> all TCKs actually do this, which is quite interesting Yeah, to find out. Yeah, but, but it's uh, definitely something that I've always done. And maybe uh, it was a coping mechanism. Maybe it was my way of trying to fit in. But uh, yeah, even as an adult, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll try to sort of match the person's accent, which is a weird habit, I guess. No, it, it, it's a good, I mean, I like it. I remembered when I was, cause your, your accent for me was quite unique. Mm. And I think I didn't think at any point it was American. It was your intonation because you can always hear the like different intonations. Yeah, I'm yeah. like, oh, it sounds like an amalgamation of things. Yeah, which... yeah, that's me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. But yeah, Dia, listening to you talk about your your childhood, it makes so much sense now because uh, when I was reading your website, you said that even though you spend most of your life in the UK, uh, you consider your outlook to be multicultural. And yes. and when I when I read the blog without hearing the full story, I was wondering like where those influences came from. But it it makes sense now. It's the international school. It's the moving between various countries, the accent, the whole the whole thing. Yeah, I think my interestingly enough, my father uh, when he was younger, so. His family back, you know, during the time in, in India, like they traveled a lot. So he went abroad a lot when he was younger, which is not a most usual thing for like Indian families back then during that time. But um, I think because of that, like he had more of like a worldview because he got to see the world quite when he was younger. And he, he was he loved traveling. I mean, and he was in this uh, job that required him to travel a lot. Mm -hmm. And I think also that then got, you know, you, you're influenced by your parents of course um and he listened to a lot of like world music and different types of music and he was very like culturally influenced I don't think he spoke that many languages though I mean he spoke Bengali Hindi which is more like you know the Indian languages English uh and then towards the end of his life he went he was living in Romania so he was trying to learn Romanian 
Wow. Uh, and I went to go and visit him in Romania a couple of times as well because, yeah, he was there for like 10 years, uh, 10, 15 years. So there was that and I tried to learn a bit of Romanian. So like that kind of worldview was always instilled at me from when I was younger. And then also my friends, because uh, as you know, like you don't always have to live many places to like have that cultural outlet. If you've got true different uh, friends of different nationalities or cultures and you become very close with them, you also share their perspectives right. and they influence you indirectly. So yeah, and I and and it's sometimes this is not something you're aware of when you're growing up, but then when you look back, you're like, oh, I've like had look at my variety of friends, or my best friend um, is Swedish Iranian, so she would also consider herself to be third culture kid um, in Iran, lived in Sweden, but is now living in the UK okay. uh, with us. So it's like, so she speaks three languages, which I'm very envious of. Um, and she's bringing up her child to speak three languages as well, which is amazing um, because I feel like I can only barely speak English. <laughs> Even though, like, I know like what the questions is around like my languages, what languages do I speak? But, well, since we're on the topic, what languages do you speak? What did, what did you speak with your parents and with your siblings? My parents spoke Hindi to me, so which is my mother tongue. My mom is uh, from Bihar. My dad is from Bengali. So Bengali was also... A language spoken but it was foreign I mean I can understand it but it's spoken to me um so up until the age of three I was speaking Hindi I don't know how fluent I was at the age of three um but I would um you know like use like English and Hindi together uh so but then after the age of three my parents started speaking to me in English so I think in a way, English became my dominant language and my go-to. So later, obviously, in life, when I went back to uh, study in India and I was in boarding school, I was taught Hindi. I mean, we were taught Sanskrit as well, which is like the ancient text. Mm-hmm. And that was just, you know, we, we had to study it. And uh, you can probably imagine my grades were not very good in either of these two subjects. So everything else, and also maths was a little bit questionable, was fine. But it was like Hindi and Sanskrit because I was really poor in because it was quite difficult for me. And I don't know what it is, but I never really, like, I, I wasn't able to grasp it as fully. And then after, obviously, boarding school, and then we were, when we were pulled out, we then stopped sort of speaking Hindi. Mm-hmm. And the only connection would be, like, unless I was watching Hindi films or Indian films, or if I was in India, my mom would be speaking to me in Hindi or people around me because we went for holidays, you know, because a lot of our family was still there and are still there. Or if my mom is like out in public in the UK and wants to speak to me, it doesn't want anyone else listening to you speak to me in Hindi. Uh-huh. So, um, yeah, so that, that my language, again, like my, my proficient language is dominant like in, in English. And then like uh, children here in the UK, when we were taking our like uh, GCSEs, which is like exams we take when we're 16 years old mm-hmm. and we're only given a language to study. So it's more, mostly a European language. And we were asked to choose between French and German. And uh, back then, I was a huge fan of tennis, and I still am, and a huge fan of Steffi Groff, who was like very popular at the time, just because like she was always winning and she had like a very calm demeanor, mm-hmm. very sportsman person, so very great role model. So she was German, mm-hmm. and I thought I will take German. So I, I studied German for two years. Mm-hmm. Uh, again my German is very like you know conversational like level but then I've suffered a lot of attrition over the years because you don't actually remember right? unless it's you keep language alive you don't you don't remember it. and then um 
like after like uh, high school, after university, I then I started working in a, in a coffee shop and I was surrounded in, so this is in London, and I was surrounded by lots of like Spanish people at the time. Okay. So I wanted to start learning Spanish. So I learned a bit of Spanish. And again, I can't remember any of it for that particular bit. But so um, but then afterwards, uh, and then very slowly after this, and this is where we're coming to my love of career is in the same coffee shop I met people who were from Korea who'd come just you know to like live for a year in in the UK to like um, speak English a bit fluently and just all of a sudden I like fell in love with this culture because they were showing me like films and food and and I learned the languages and unfortunately you learn not the good words you know for some reason that's like the most exciting thing and you're like oh wow okay and I would I would be swearing in this particular language in the country. Yeah, I didn't think that because I thought it was really I thought I loved the I loved the pronunciation. I'm not gonna say it here. But I mean like, oh I love this. And um, they'd be like, yeah, don't say that. And I'm like, okay. And then like teach me something else. And they would be like, this is how you say I'm hungry, thank you. And so I just I just really love the whole thing. And then I thought, oh, you know, Korea is like not a place I've ever thought of going to. And then my best friend who became became my best friend, she she was uh, she moved back and said, why don't you come and visit me? And I'm like, okay. And then sometimes these are things that people say and you don't really take people up on their offer. But yeah. I actually grew and obviously became one of my first of many visits to Korea. And it became a language that I thought like, oh, um, again, I'm forever like learning. And I don't know if this is the same for anyone who's always, con- who's, it's not their first language, but you're constantly trying to learn it. And I don't know if you ever become fluent, but I'm still very much consider myself a beginner in Korean. So I hope that answers the question on languages, which is quite a long answer. <laughs> I think there's uh, one left, which is uh, what language do you dream in and swear in? Right. Okay. So um, I dream in English. Unless I'm having a dream, uh, I'm in Korean, and I'm speaking fluent in Korean for some reason, or if I'm speaking um, Hindi, like fluently. But what's very interesting uh, to note is when I'm in India, and I'm speaking to someone in Hindi and I'm thinking of a word and instead of thinking of the Hindi word, a Korean word pops in. Oh, and that's I'm strange. Very, I know. It's very weird. And then it sometimes it may happen on the reverse. So if I'm in Korea and I'm trying to try out my Korean, making sure like, you know, because um, it's, it's, yeah. But I'm saying the right thing because sometimes I've had problems with the pronunciation and people not necessarily understanding because they probably might see me and think, oh, she's non-Korean, maybe she wants to speak in English and I'm trying to say a Korean word and then thinking I'm speaking in English and we're not kind of getting there. Mm -hmm. So sometimes a Hindi word will come to my mind. So it's very strange. Like when I'm trying to reach for the word in my mind instead like another word of another language will come in. Mm. So Maybe Korean and Hindi sort of occupy the same space in your brain for some reason. Maybe, maybe. I haven't, I'd love to do like some brain scans and see like what areas of my brain lights up when I'm like exposed to the like Indian side and then the Korean side. Mm. Well, this actually reminds me of a question that I had about the similarities between Indian and Korean culture. What are the similarities? I know there are a lot of words that sort of sound very similar, like, like Oma and Appa, like dad and mom. Aren't those quite similar? Yes, yes, yes. So, uh, amma, uh, and then om. As it, so, in Korean, it's omma. Omma, is that right? Yeah, omma. Okay. So my my I call my mom mother or mummy, <laughs> but she called her mother amma. So it's the ah uh, 
Ma. So yeah, but they're very exactly. It sounds very similar. Um, so I guess so this is this is really interesting, and I'm just going to go back to the Korean culture thing. So like, why did I become so interested in Korean culture, or what was it that attracted me to becoming? You know, like what what is why did I, I why do I love Korea so much? Mm-hmm. And I was thinking about this, and I know this this will maybe address the question maybe between what the similarities are between Indian and, and Korean culture. Mm-hmm. But so for me, uh, obviously like third culture kid was an, a term I never heard growing up, but only like sort of, I think in my, my early twenties that I understood what the third culture kid was. And I'm like, Oh, that's me. Like, yeah. I wish, you know, we never had much back then. Um, and, um, so like third culture kid, like you don't always choose, well, you never choose, right? So when your parents grow up in a particular culture, they then take you away from that culture. They then put you in a different culture that you're not, obviously they're not familiar with, uh, but then you become familiar with when you're younger. You don't, like, I never had a choice to come to the UK. Right. Like choosing was like my dad putting us in boarding school, taking us out, you know, okay. Like now you'll stay here. And apparently he told me he had the choice to go to the States, uh, but his uh, my mom and, and him decided that the UK would be better for us um and it was that same thing of like growing up here not really quite feeling British going back to India for holidays not really quite feeling Indian mm-hmm. and then feeling like that in between and then being able to relate to everyone else and then I wondered the reason why I've chosen like Korea or Korean like as because it's my choice Whereas, like, over these situations, I didn't choose to be Indian because I was born. I was born Indian. That's, like, not a choice you get. Right. And then I did choose to, like, live here because, again, that was my parents' choice. And then I think the reason why I was so drawn to Korean culture was because it was my choice. And it felt very familiar, maybe very close to Indian culture because there's a lot of emphasis on the family. There's a lot of emphasis on the food. Um, and, you know, this like uh there's that uh queen um ancient queen i don't know so i think it's suho i should um i should google her name before but when i went to uh to busan um there was um, i've forgotten the name now but i have to like quickly look it up but there was fated to be like 2000 years ago uh indian queen like mm. came to uh korea married a korean king mm-hmm. and you know, like there's like a, so this is a myth, um, they say, like from the ancient city of Ayutthaya, which is a city in India. And so this is a myth, but they do say like two things exist. Like there was a stone that arrived in Korea that no one knows how they got there, but the origins of the stone is is from India. And there is like a fish pattern, which adapt, you know, so like, um, an, I don't know where it came from, but again, the fish pattern came from India and it wasn't like Korean. Yeah. So this was, even though this is a myth, this is sort of like uh, something that happened. I thought, oh, wow, this is amazing. This is very interesting. Maybe this is, maybe I could have been the reincarnation of the queen. I don't know. I was just <laughs> thinking all sorts of things of why I was interested in Korea, but that's quite interesting. And also you have in Korea, the culture of if someone turns a hundred, like the baby turns a hundred days, they have a ritual, like they eat rice for the first time mm. and then they choose in front of them is, you know, on a bowl, there's representation of like land or earth, some money. Right. Toljabi. Yeah. Yeah. And whatever they choose, which they choose all of them, that means they want to be all these professions. Yeah. Is the same thing we have in India as well. So oh, I really? thought that was like, yes, yes. On the baby's 100th day? 
Yes, yeah, the board, the first Pride's Day, and they're the same things are presented. Oh. Um, I know, and I was like, wow, and I, and I wanted to look, I mean, I haven't done it, but, like, what is the history of that? You know, how did that appear in Korean culture, and how is that appearing in Indian culture? What is the origin? And it must be something that connects both the cultures uh, and countries. So, yeah, that's that, that's why, I mean, I think those are the, some similarities. Of course, the languages, you said some words are similar, the languages are different um yeah it's uh and my my aunt who lives in india is become has become a huge fan of korean dramas and has actually watched hand on heart like more dramas than i have ever <laughs> if you're if you're asking me about any drama recommendations for korean dramas you should actually call her <laughs> she's actually, yeah. that's awesome <laughs> um yeah but I, I love what you said about how you know we didn't choose where we were born or you know we didn't really have a choice in where we grew up but Korea is this one place that you chose to love and to visit and you know all of this and yeah I can I can totally relate to that because I think when you're you know a teenager growing up moving countries every few years for me it was quite overwhelming and stressful at times and it was never my choice you know and yeah. yeah, I think as adults, when we choose things we like, it's quite deliberate. And I'm like, I'm going to study French. I'm going to, you know, be a Francophile or I'm going to, you know, travel to this country. And it's my decision. Yeah. And actually, that, that's, that's I like how you phrase that because that's how I felt when I came to Korea. Like it was my choice. So I, I'm the younger of two. I mean, younger of as in me and my brother. Um, and the sibling, you know, the youngest always contradictorily we do get spoiled a lot but at the same time it's always like you must do this you must do that or you must listen to your brother and a lot of expectations are placed on the younger one maybe mm-hmm. um and I think when I went to Korea I felt that independence of like this is this is really I, and I loved escaping and I felt a lot of times people ask me like what is it about Korea that you like and I can't pick just one thing but it is a sense of being able to switch off and just be, and I don't have to be an expected version of myself that other people may expect me to be. And this is a bit weird to say, but so when I go there, I feel like I can just relax and just be who I am. And it's just like the most amazing feeling ever. And it's strange because I don't necessarily get that feeling if I'm, even if I go on holiday, let's say to Europe uh, or anywhere else, but in, in, in Korea, yeah, that's why I love Korea. But then obviously when I someone asks me, I say, oh, I love the films. Oh, I love the food. But yeah, and that's how I describe it. Mm. Yeah, maybe now's a good time to ask you the identity question because I think we skipped over it. <laughs> but um, yeah, how would you describe your identity? Now you can uh, allocate percentages, but yeah. What is uh, your... Okay, that that would be really, really hard for me. I think percentages of my identity because I'd be like, I have no idea. I like using. Um, so this is so this is a very frivolous answer to give, but when you're on Instagram, you know, you can do like like random filters, and it pretends to like decide how much percentage of how like who you are and what heritage you are or something. Uh, and I find that that oh, sorry that was really funny, and that's not an answer to this. So I, I think that's a hard question for me to answer. Um, it depends on the context, like, and it depends on what I'm doing or what the situation is I'm in. 
because I don't sort of wake up and think in my mind, oh, I am like 20% Indian or 10% British and 5% other or something. I know that does not make a total of 100, but it's, um, it's yeah, it's it's a difficult question. But I, which is why I think on my website, I said like multicultural outview, because I, even though these are the cultures I've grown up in and I've experienced, I feel like I have more of an understanding of like other cultures in the world. So I don't necessarily see my identity as either being British or just being Indian. And I've also had challenges being like in the UK and being a British Indian in the UK, where my first role, uh, I was, um, there was an Indian manager there and she was like, uh, dear, um, you know, who are you? What are you? And I'm just like, I'm Indian. She goes, yes, but you don't sound like one of us. <laughs> I just thought that was very strange <laughs> because my accent wasn't like this. So I was very conscious of that as well. So that made me feel even more alien because, you know, here was like a community who were also British, Asian, you know, Indian and living in the UK mm-hmm. said that I didn't sound like them. So I was just like, right, okay, so if I'm not you, then who am I? You know, so that was very strange. And for them, um, during break times around the workplace, I never hung out with the Indian crew, again, British Indian crew. I hung out with like everyone else. And I think that, again, that was just because I wanted, I didn't ever want to be labeled as just like one thing. Um, so I'd always like try to make friends with lots of people. So, yeah, so that's like, I, I would never see myself as just one thing. So that's why I find it hard sometimes when um, people might just see me as, I don't know, Indian or just being British or just one label. Again, it's a label and I find it very hard to sort of fit into sort of niche labels, mm-hmm. which is quite, question. It's quite, it's quite hard <laughs> to answer. Yeah, no, fair enough. I mean, that that's how you feel. But I, I find it quite interesting that Indians living in the UK will sort of look out for other Indians in the country and sort of like pick up on the accent and be like oh you're one of us or maybe you're not you know <laughs> yeah I mean that, I mean I don't think that's um general effect of everyone it was just that that particular experience mm. um that I had and they said that you don't sound like us and I don't and again it was more like what was my intonation and you know there's certain accents and you can always tell even if you you don't physically see the person and you speak to them on the phone you might just hazard a guess as to where they are from Mm -hmm. just because of the accent and the intonation and the way they hit certain words Mm -hmm. Uh, and maybe nine times out of ten you're instinctively right so yeah I always thought okay what is it that I'm not saying that sounds a little bit like them but then again I wasn't um I didn't follow the their exact journey so a lot of like the British uh, Indians would have perhaps been born here because their parents have come you know either from India or from there's a large population of Indians that live also I mean around the world they live everywhere (laughs) Indians live everywhere Mm. but they would come from like South Africa right um or that's like also again third culture kids like maybe removed as well if you like because their parents were third culture kids because their parents parents grew up in India but then migrated to um South Africa and then they came to the UK yeah yeah so they were kind of born here, whereas I was born in India. And then, so I don't know whether that had, that had any effect on my accent. And then, as I said, I would mask my accent as well. So there would be like, a, <laughs> you know, like a, like a slight change there. So 
I mean, so we've been talking about your accent quite a bit, um, but I'm curious now, can you still do the Indian accent or have you perfected it, perfected the British accent to a point where, you know, the old accent is gone? Uh, very, well, this is a very, very good question. And I think that accent is probably still there. I don't, um, that accent is still there in some parts because whenever I speak to my parents, again, I, I probably... And again, it's psychological. I probably go back to a very kind of Indian accent. So when I'm with my friends, again, like who know me and I'm not in high school anymore, so it's easy. You can just be you. Yeah. And so I, I will speak to my uh, to my um, parents in front of my friends and I switch and it'll be fine. But then sometimes I've had my very close friends say, you sound very Indian sometimes. And I was like, well, <laughs> I, I hope so. Because maybe it's like, a good, maybe I, I'm impassioned about something and I might just go back to like a very Indian sounding thing. Okay. But again, it depends on who like it. And this is interesting because um, it depends on who I'm with. Mm. Uh, again, it's that, that what you were mentioning earlier about mimicking the person that you're speaking with. And again, it's to create that rapport when you're speaking to someone because it's a nice comforting thing to sort of speak in the way that they're speaking. Mm. Um, uh, so yeah, and it's funny because they are not Indian by any means. So I don't know how why I sound Indian to them. <laughs> but uh, yeah, <laughs> that's really funny. Okay, well let let's switch gears a bit and go to one of my favorite questions, which is about food. What's your go to comfort food, Dia? <laughs> so um, my grandfather, who is my father's father loved having dal and rice and like uh onions and, and pickle like that was his go-to food like he loved that and I did not know this at all uh I'm just I think it was much before the pandemic my ability to cook Indian food is let's just say it's I can do dal and I can make rice and that's it and uh, I have since learned other dishes but these were the two main things I could do back then and there was a point that I just, all I wanted to eat every single day when I came back from work was dal and rice. And I was saying to my dad at the time, I was like, oh, this is amazing. I just love eating this. I'm, I'm not going to get sick of this. I just love this. And he goes, oh, that's so funny. You should say this because your, you know, your great, your grandfather loved this dish. And I was like, oh, wow. And um, yeah, that's weirdly my go-to comfort food. So that and kitchery. So this is where you make like the lentils and the rice together. Mm. Uh, and uh, yeah, it's it's just comforting. Um, I mean, also that and anything with cheese. <laughs> it's okay. also comforting, <laughs> but obviously not that together with, with cheese. But that is really my yeah, my go-to comfort food. Is this something that you grew up eating since you were a kid? My my mom would make again all sorts of dishes. She would she she was an amazing cook. Learned to cook for my dad, but she would make all sorts of uh, dishes. Indian food being one of them, and then lasagna, and then meatloaf. She makes an amazing meatloaf, like tuna pasta bake. She would make all sorts of like cuisines. Um, but so it wasn't just Indian food that she made at home. So yeah, it's weird. There's that that's that's my go-to comfort food. Yeah, I mean, I I love talking about food with my guests because I think food has this power to you know, bring back memories, it connects people. And for people like us who sort of moved around a lot growing up, it has the power to bring back so much that you can reminisce over. Yeah. So it's great. And I I love so my mom is she's living in India and so she'll come and, you know, come back and forth 
whenever she comes, like whatever she makes has that, you know, very comforting feeling. And it's, as I said, I was, I'm not that great at cooking Indian food, although I'll try to like learn from my mother. And then when I make it and she's not present as in she's in India, it does not taste the same, no matter how I follow her and try. And it's almost like, what is this? And I, you know, and it's just, but again, it's like food that your mother makes is so special because that's the food that you grew up with yeah. and you always love, you know? So yeah, it's, um, it's, it's, it's amazing. It can transport you to a memory. It can transport you to like, you know, yeah. Lots of things, time with family. Yeah. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> Uh, okay, uh, let me ask you the next question, which is name a place that informed your taste in the arts. So this can be music, art, films, books. I'm going to be really strange and say, I don't want to name a place, but I'm going to name my, my cousin okay. <laughs> and my my uh, father, actually, because um, so I think he, he, well, he's definitely informed my choices in music and my, my dad informed a lot of my choices in music. So he grew up in India um, and like, he fell in love with opera from a very young age. And he was teaching me about classical music and, and opera and because I would have never had any exposure to that, I think, just from his perspective. And um, yeah, I did this very recently at work. We were asked to do Desert Island Discs, which is you have to name four or three of your favorite songs that you would have to, if you were stranded on a desert island, these are the four songs or the three songs that you wouldn't mind playing again and again and again. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh my God, how, how do I do this? How would I, um, how would I choose four songs? And people were like, oh, you can choose it by maybe what, you know, how you've grown up, maybe, you know, one, one song that just defines a particular time in your life and then talk through that. And I was like, okay. And it was very interesting because it, it, it relates to all of this. Uh, I thought, okay, let me pick four songs. And then I sat down and I thought about, about my life. <laughs> I thought about like where I've been influenced. And I ended up picking three non-English songs. Okay. And one English song. And I was like, oh, that's very weird. Because I wouldn't have thought that, you know, I would bring these songs. Because I, I, I put some sort of thought into it. And one of them was actually... Uh, an aria by Maria Carlos. Okay. So again, this is an opera like this. She was singing in Italian, hence like the non-English. One was a Korean song. One was a like a Hindi song, uh, and one was a, a Beatles song. Because again, was it song. If you don't mind, can you share all the titles with us? I'm just curious. <laughs> I can share all my titles. Um, yeah. Uh, so the first one was Disco Divani. So this is by Nadia Hassan. So the, when I was uh, younger, my first, I don't know if it was my cassette. So back when, <laughs> when I grew up, we had audio cassettes. Oh, so And yeah. people are like, what? <laughs> what is an audio cassette? Because <laughs> now even when you talk about CDs, everyone's like, what's a CD? <laughs> Especially, uh, because now all songs are, you know, streamable and downloadable and there's nothing tangible. Like you, you just hear the song. Mm. So I had an um, audio cassette. <laughs> Uh, of this uh, artist and I loved listening to the song because it would take me back to that time when I was three so like you know I remember fragments of my my childhood and then it's always that question of do you remember it or did someone put that memory there for you 
or was it through a photograph? And it's like that ownership of the memory. Sometimes it's a bit blurry, but I definitely remember having, well, I hope me, but I have like this memory of, of this cassette, uh, Nadia Hussain's sort of Disco Divane. I can, I can send you all the titles afterwards, if you like, uh, was a song that defined those three years of my life when I was growing up in India. Um, and then the, the second song, which was influenced by my cousin, was Uno Boche Poco Fa, which I hope I'm pronouncing correctly. It's like a little voice I heard far away. That's the Italian translation. And that's from the opera, uh, The Barber of Seville. And yeah, the third song uh, was a Beatles song. And that was Lady Madonna. I don't know if you... And that was like, again, so it was um, the definition of like, because for me, like the Beatles and Elvis is like my dad's era. Mm-hmm. And that got me through like a lot of like last year was uh, particularly challenging for me because my dad passed and I had to go to Romania. Just having the Beatles listening to them mm-hmm. was a way of like maybe like helping me get through that time. So I chose that one. And then the, the fourth one was <laughs> a Korean song. And I've actually forgotten the title. Um, but it was one because I, I had to pick like a Korean pop song. Right? I had, like it had to be something uh, to define like my Korean, my love of Korean culture. Uh, and it was, oh, and, um, it's like a summer song. I think it was in 2015. Okay. I think I, uh, High Four and IU, uh, not Spring Love or Cherry Blossoms. Ah, okay, okay. Yeah. So that was my fourth song. <laughs> yeah. And that one was like, because I was, because obviously when you're choosing, I was thinking, okay, uh, like how do I sum up my my life? So I was using that particular song um, to illustrate, like this is my love of Korean culture and this time of my life is, yeah. So it was very weird. I, did, I, I And I like... Looked back and I thought, my God, four of the songs or three of the songs are not English, you know, and like, you know, Hindi, Italian, um, Korean. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, um, but yeah, I, I wouldn't say a place again, because it's very difficult. It's more like people around me. So my father definitely influenced me with music. He was a musician when he was younger. He was in a band. He played the guitar a lot. He played the uh, piano. Mm-hmm. Um for his love of classical music and also the challenges he faced growing up in India as well um so because like loving opera when you're quite young and having more of a worldly view was very different so uh yeah it was difficult for him um but now he, he lives here in the UK um uh yeah so like these two I think have been sort of like very influential in my love of music mm-hmm. um and then my love of reading, because uh, I know like the, connect, the 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 question is not necessarily connected to to reading literature, but it, in the arts, it's um, right. uh, my my family also been like my mom is an artist herself. Well, she wouldn't claim to be an artist, but she does it on the side. She does a lot of paintings and, and drawings. Uh, and my father too, when he was younger, again something I never knew, but like, I found out. Um, and yeah, they collected a lot of art um, over like over the years. So again, like my parents, I think very influential. Yeah, that that's lovely. And I think the the songs that you chose for your island sort of reflect all of the influences and maybe parts of your identity as well. Yes, yeah. Hmm. I've never really sat down and thought about what kinds of songs I would take to a deserted island. 
Uh, I think I'll do that later today. <laughs> Figure out what songs I'll have on my playlist. And you're talking about cassette tapes. I had a Walkman, so I totally know what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah, I remember. I had my 10th birthday, got a Walkman. I was so excited. Uh, and I do, do you know Kylie Minogue? Yes. So she was, I Kylie. Weirdly, Kylie did not make my Desert Island discs, which is like, oh, because I thought she would definitely be on there, but she was not on there. Um, but she was my first album that I got with my Walkman. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah. but Kylie sadly <laughs> did not make the cut. She's definitely been like, uh, she was also someone I grew, um, like, listened to a lot growing up. And I still listen to her. Yeah. Mm. Uh, let me ask you the next question, which is, out of all the places you've lived, pick a favorite city. It's London. Mm. It is London. Um, I, I mean, expected I that. <laughs> um, I mean, I haven't... I can't say that I've lived enough places as I've sort of, you know, given a brief canter through where I've lived as I've grown up to really say, oh, I really love there. Um, because I know a lot of people who have lived like abroad in like more the vibrant cities, like maybe New York versus London. They may pick New York or, um, but for me, London is very multicultural. Of course, as you just said, there's there's so many things going on. It's a very busy city. You can get caught up in the like the surrounding, the noise, or at the same time, there's also places to be really quiet in. Uh, and sometimes, and I've had these really interesting conversations with friends about the quality of friendships in London sometimes. Mm. Because when you go outside of London, and this is when I was growing up, so I, um, although I, I schooled here, uh, I went to university like uh, outside, like Farnham and Southampton. Okay. So that's not London, that's more like further down um, south. And it's not like you're vibrant. It's not, I mean, Southampton's a city, but it's quieter than London. And then I was reflecting with some of my friend, my uni friends about the quality of friendships. Like you make better friends in quieter places. And this is just my <laughs> observation because in London, it's again, so much going on, it's very distracting. Sometimes your relationships can be quite superficial. Mm. But, I mean, that's obviously like, that's just been my experience. But don't you, I've also made like my best friend, Nikki, who I said, um, a, a Swedish Iranian, uh, made here, but obviously not very superficial. Like she's almost like my sister. Mm. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, living in a city, I think, comes with both pros and cons. It's chaotic. There's so much going on like you said it's distracting and it's hard to keep up sometimes for me living in Seoul but yeah at the same time you sort of get addicted to it I think and I think it was really encouraging I think for everyone and a lot of people moved out of London during the lockdown because why be in London you don't have to be in London nothing's going on nothing's happening everyone's at home let me just go back to my parents or let me move you know halfway you know across the, the country and because that vibrancy of London had you know, there was, there was no need to be in London. And my cousin, who's very much a London-centric person, he moved uh, to Cumbria. Um, and then he's come back, but <laughs> it was very, very interesting. Um, yeah, so my favourite place is, first of all, is like London, because, you know, there is a lot of um, cultures. And there's a particular street just near to where I work, where if you look, you know, down the street, not, it depends on the angle you're looking, um, and because there's a hotel and then there's also the um, Korean uh, embassy where you can get your visas there, mm -hmm. you can see the, the, the UK flag, the Indian flag and the Korean flag. And I'm like, 
you know, ah, this is brilliant because it kind of represents like my identities, but the thing I also like, if you, you know what I mean? Oh, that's, that's so great that you found a spot in the city where, you know, you can look out the window and just feel represented, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I've also had, this is, this. you might find this very interesting or funny or humorous, but because I used to talk a lot and I still do about Korea, someone actually thought I was Korean or part Korean or... Oh, really? I was like, no. Yeah. And, it's, and I thought maybe it was just one person who just... I don't know, maybe was, <laughs> I don't, I'm, I'm not entirely sure because I do not look Korean and my Korean is very bad in terms of speaking. So I wasn't quite sure, but I think the way that they felt like, okay, she speaks so much about Korea, she must have some connection or some <laughs> grandfather or something. And so therefore they assumed that I was part Korean and I was just like, no, no, I'm not, I'm not at all Korean. Just like, I just love the culture. But that, yeah, that was very funny for me because I was like, and that's happened more than once, more than once. So I'm like, mm, okay, not by everyone, <laughs> but just by a few people. No, you can be one of us. You can be an honorary Korean. <laughs> Hop on the boat. <laughs> okay, uh, let's switch gears a bit and talk more about uh, being a third culture kid. I think you mentioned this briefly before, but uh when did you hear the term third culture kid and realize you were one? Uh, so I think it was in an essay or something someone had, I, I was reading. Um, and I was like, oh, what is this TCK thing? And you like, I didn't, didn't have any idea. And then it was almost like, okay, it's when you grow up in a culture that's different to your parents. I'm like, oh, so this terminology exists, you know, because I always thought it was just... Um, me and my brother or at the time I didn't know that many third culture kids and it's interesting because it's a terminology that you know bonds you to other people so if you can go to someone like are you a TCK they're like yes they're like wow and automatically you just they understand everything that you may have been through but then you talk about it and then there's this kind of bond so yeah so it would have been like I think in my early 20s that I heard that there was a, such a thing called TCK uh, but I think there's also variations of being a TCK. I think I mentioned as well. Um, so if your parents' parents are third culture kids and then your parents are third culture kid and then you grow up in a different culture, I don't know if they call it like totally removed or something, but I thought I was finding that quite fascinating. Right. I think there are variations and some immigrant kids identify as being third culture kids. Sometimes, you know, you can be an American kid living in America, but I don't know, attending French schools or something. And you can feel like you're not a part of either culture and so on. So, yeah, I guess I'm sort of exploring that topic through this uh, podcast as well. Mm. It's It's been really interesting because, like you said, there's this bond that brings us all together. But you look below the surface and we're all different. And the point at which we, we realize we are third culture kids is, is quite uh, different as well. So, yeah, I think I think that's what makes it interesting. But um, yeah, well, what would you say is the, the hardest thing about being a TCK? Not having grown up in, well, for me, I don't know if this is a third culture kid syndrome, but not having grown up in one place, or I know this is going to sound really weird, um, but sometimes I get envious of people who've like had lived in the same house all their entire life and they'll go back to their parents to stay in the same house and like... Uh, or having um, traditions, because 
it's I think I mean this this is probably more like a personal thing and I'm not sure how far this extends but I was always very envious of like so this is another thing of why I was attracted to Korean culture like certain things that they have and they do um and I think it's just my family went very we're traditional we celebrate you know like the valley we celebrate Christmas as well like we'll celebrate all like the big festivals but yeah I think it's just like never having that one place or that one identity or feeling that belonging which is yeah I think that's the hardest thing. Um, but then the thing about being a third culture kid also, like on the other on the other hand, because mm. there are many, many positives as well. And there's always like there's always negative and positives. The positive thing I think is also having or being able to connect with people like very seamlessly and always having because we're always expecting there's going to be change and there's always going to be things happening and it's the ability to cope with change, which I know sounds a really bizarre thing because I automatically thought like everyone had this ability. Um, but um, yeah, I think whether, and again, it's something that I'd like to know whether it's a personality trait or it's like something that's been embedded through the third culture kid syndrome is being able to connect with everyone, seeing their view, understanding them, like being friends with them. Yeah, and also having like a lot of friends or connections because... Um, when you're growing up in different, you know, cultures and uh, and connecting with other people, like you just draw together lots of lots of like friends and a collection of them, uh, which is always hard to keep in touch with everyone's birthday. Remember everyone's birthday, which is why Facebook is amazing because it will always tell you whose birthday it is and you can wish them. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think I think it's that. It's just yeah, having a variety of, of people that you know around the world or what I, I know around the world of having like and again I'm just thinking is that a third culture kid syndrome was it just my family situation or is it just yeah I'm not entirely sure um yeah I think a lot of third culture kids do talk about loving the the friendships that they've developed with people who live around the world and and but I think as as our world becomes more globalized people who maybe aren't third culture kids will have had the same experience if they started moving around a lot once they started working. So I don't know if it's specific to our experience, but um, but yeah, I can imagine for you, if you uh, went to an international school in India, those friends that you met there are probably living all over the place now. Yes. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And, and I think that's the beauty of it because yeah, a lot of third culture kids keep moving the constant wanderlust and yeah for me I, I always have to like track people you know how where is this person living now and oh now they're in Europe and now they're in Asia and now they're back in America so and so the story goes yeah well this is interesting I was reading about like the the character traits of the culture kids and they like change they're always going here and always going there and um and I wondered about this because like uh so we didn't talk so like my job I, I was with an organization for 15 years and I, there was no third culture kid syndrome in there in the sense that I wasn't constantly changing and I think from having that like constantly changing background sometimes you may just want to not change and you want to just embrace the now or the <laughs> you want to perhaps pause so I wondered also if there's like a opposite to that um because yeah, I wasn't so I've, I've changed jobs as of last year I'm in a different organization oh I see uh I, yeah and um but it was like yeah I'd been in that organization for 15 years and I wondered like oh okay that's really interesting and 
uh, I haven't, I don't know, I haven't quite got that wanderlust of like deciding to move because I wanted, I had that when I was younger. Now I kind of want that stable, <laughs> that stable life. Mm. No, I, I totally get what you mean because I, I often talk about leaving and moving countries, but I've lived in Korea for the past 10 years. So, I mean, COVID sort of disrupted plans as well, but yeah, I think I think there is comfort in just sort of growing some roots and staying in one place and not having to pack up so often. So, yeah, I think I think both of those uh, things exist within me. This this desire to constantly move and explore new places. And then, yeah, a part of me that's like, come on, man, like you move so much when you're a kid, just like, you know, chill for a bit and, you know, enjoy being rooted for once. So, yeah, it's a it's a constant battle, I think. But and I think that's just who I am. It's interesting. I mean, you, you go traveling. Have you been traveling recently or is it still COVID disruption? Or? Um, so I think the last overseas trip I took was right before the start of COVID. So yeah, I've just been traveling a lot uh, within Korea. But yeah, I look forward to the next trip because I've been missing it a lot. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think you can still do like a lot of that. I mean, I haven't, um, like, yeah, I've been in the UK for, um, yeah, ever since we moved back. Um, and then like trips to Korea here and then, and trips to Romania and then going on holiday and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. But I was asked, would I would I want to move to Korea for example my friends keep telling me why don't you come to Korea it's never too late it's never too late and I'm just like yeah I want to but then I feel like I know I've reached that age where I feel like I just want to stay in one place and um like and again I mean I could surprise myself and obviously yeah you said COVID does just did disrupt it was two years and it's still continuing you yeah. still have to think that you know but obviously it's a lot less <gasps> COVID, you know, it's, it's no more like a, a foreign concept. We're sort of getting used to it, and we're living with it in some ways. But yeah, I I don't know whether if I if I, if I ever did move, it would be either to Korea or back to India. I think those are the two places, unless it was for like a different kind of job or something. Mm-hmm. But I would, yeah, I don't know if I would move. Oh wow! Happy to hear that Korea is on that list. <laughs> yeah. um yeah so we've reached the final question and i don't know if this is a difficult one for you but um yeah where is home for you no this is actually not very difficult it's so this is wherever my family is is where it's home so wherever my mom is um it's home so my my mom and uh, my mom's sister and her husband they recently came to london uh in june and they have one son who's the cousin I mentioned earlier who interests me with his music, uh, his, his love of music. Um, when they were here in London, like, it just felt like home, you know. And whenever I go and visit them, so I'm planning to go to India this Christmas, whenever I'm around them and my family, that's home. So it's like wherever they are, that's where it is. No matter how chaotic and how <laughs> crazy and how... You know, um, it's 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 home for me. So, yeah, and that's that's the I think that's the easiest question I can answer. Actually, <laughs> so those are all the questions in the TCK questionnaire, and yeah, I've I've loved talking to you about these 
these questions and topics because I had no idea that you moved so much when you were growing up. And I can, I mean, there's one, I don't know whether you wanted to ask this question or not, but because, um, or we may have talked about it, but uh, you asked what my most British trait or my most Indian. Oh, yes, yes. I, I will ask you this question because I know that were you, that was the, the toughest one, figuring out what's most British and what's most Indian. So yeah, what, what, what do you think is your most British and Indian trait? So um, I was... I was thinking, is it because British people are very famous for talking about the weather all the time? Uh, and I wondered if that was one of them. But that means just generally everyone talks about the weather. But, and then I picked up on one is where we say sorry a lot. So even if it's not your fault, you bump into someone or you do something and you say sorry, but really it's that person's fault. I say sorry a lot. Oh, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. And it's just like, a, that's that's a very <laughs> British trait. And I, and I tend to do that. Yeah, and my friend would be like, stop saying sorry. I'm like, yes, oh, I'm so sorry. Because like, I'm sorry, I'm saying sorry. Mm. So, <laughs> that's, so I think that's a, that's a very British thing as well. Uh, my most Indian trait, this one was the hardest one, actually. Um, and again, it was funny, I was asking my mom this morning about, like, I think I was telling you, like, what, is, what does it mean to be Indian? And I think it's the hospitality trade or the generosity trade or that kind of, like, making sure someone's eaten or drunk or... Like uh, and again, this could be like a Korean thing as well because in Korea they talk a lot about like food. Uh, but yeah, I think it's the um, yeah, just the generous like have you eaten? Should we go get something to eat? Or uh, whenever anyone comes over, it's almost like do you want something to drink? Do you want something to eat? Eat something? Have something? Like drink something now? Oh no, but it's just we just had dinner. No, that's no, fine. Eat something now. So it's always that. That's a very Indian thing to do. Uh, I'll, I'll illustrate one story if that's okay. Mm. Um, is like again that whole like identity thing and about like who are you and who are you trying to be so um I had gone with a couple of friends and this is in London to like a, we went for drinks um on Edgware Road and it's predominantly like this place is frequented by like many nationalities and we were having drinks together and then I think there was, there was definitely this Indian boy who came up to me and started talking to me and and it was it was a nice conversation we were having, and then all of a sudden an Indian song came on the overhead speakers, and I actually didn't know it was Indian because I was like I had no idea. And he was like, "Oh, I love this song. Don't you love this song?" And I looked at him and I was like, like I kind of I did this, you know, with this face, and I didn't know what it was. And he was he looked at me, and all of a sudden the conversation made this weird turn, and he said, um, "Do you not know this song?" And I'm like, "No." He goes, "Are, are you not Indian?" Like, don't you listen to all this like music and don't you watch Indian films? And all of a sudden he started like questioning me about my identity at this point, which was before after that point, a very pleasant conversation. And then I just turned around and I said to him, like, hey, I'm not trying to be Indian, right? It's who I am. Like I don't have to go and learn up on the latest culture of like Indian stuff or styles or Indian movies or latest songs. I am Indian through and through, right? That's my national, you know, my like I identify with being Indian, but I'm not trying to be. And then we had this, yeah, I think he stopped talking, and, and I, which was good. I would have like ended the conversation, but it was just very weird. Like he was trying, to, I felt very accused of not being Indian because I didn't know the latest song. It wasn't like the national anthem, anthem or anything. It was like just some random pop song. Mm. No, I think you touched upon a very important topic, which is that, yeah, for, for people like us who've sort of spent a lot of time abroad or between different cultures when you come back home or when you you know for me when I came back to Korea 
the expectation was that you know I would speak Korean fluently because it's your mother tongue. How could you not you know speak it? And even to this day, like I'll talk to Koreans, and when I don't know something that I couldn't have known because I didn't go to school here, it's like, oh, how could you not? Like, how do how can you not know about this like historical figure or this I don't know war or I don't know this or other? And I'm like, I- I'm sorry, but you know, I am Korean and I'm very proud to be Korean, but I I didn't. I didn't have the experiences that you guys had growing up here, and that, but that doesn't negate the Korean part of me. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, that was very interesting. It was interesting the view that other people had, and it was more like, yeah, but I, I felt like, you know, you are who you are. Like that, that's your nationality. You don't have to just because you don't know these bits doesn't negate that identity part of you. Yeah. Um, yeah, I thought that was very interesting. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, dear, it's been really nice having this conversation with you and I feel like a lot of these questions we could go back to and talk about for hours but um yeah it's been so nice catching up and yeah thank you for sharing your story with with me and all of our listeners and yeah I guess on a on a final note well what was it like for you to sort of sit through these questions I know some of them are are quite tough at times uh, yeah, so what, what what was it like thinking about being a third culture kid for an hour with me? <laughs> no, it was it was uh, interesting. I was trying to like watch some TED talks before on being a third culture kid, and I thought, <laughs> no, let me let me just be because like you know, it's uh, what is it about myself that makes myself a third culture? And again, I said labels are very weird and very interesting. Um, but it does bunch together like labels of experiences that you might be able to share with others. Um, but it's been challenging. I think looking at these questions, I kind of think, my God, do I really know who I am? Like what percentage of my identity is attributed to what? And um, and uh, yeah, these, I mean, these questions are definitely interesting about like your, where your compass points to in terms of art. And it's not something I naturally think about. It's just something you do. Mm. And I don't know, it's like... Um, Sometimes, you know, when I, this is a very, very weird analogy maybe to make, but when you're on a train track and a train is coming to you, this towards you, you don't actually have that perspective of how far away it is because it's in front of you. You can't see the width. So if you see someone, someone will have to stand in a third party perspective to see like the width. So it's like taking yourself outside mm. and then viewing from a different perspective to say, oh, okay. So by looking at these questions, I had to think of myself that way. Otherwise, it's not something I would naturally think of. So it was interesting. <laughs> so in terms of the questioning, it was very, they were very interesting, which is almost like, oh, I don't know if I'm going to sound that interesting. Like, oh, what language do I dream in? What what language do I swear in? Or um, sometimes if I don't want people to listen to me or know that I'm swearing, I'll swear in a language that they're not familiar with. <laughs> so that's, that's really helpful, right? Um, yeah. So, no, but it, it's been fun. It's been really fun and I hope uh, you know it's been enjoyable for you on this and and it's been really great catching up with you as well yeah thank you so much I love that analogy thank you for you know watching the train approach us while we stand on this uh, train track and yeah put it all in perspective I think that's exactly why I'm doing this and hopefully uh, if there are other British Indian listeners out there uh, listening to this particular episode I'm sure there are a lot of things that they can relate to 
yeah thank you for spending time with me and yeah thank you to our listeners for tuning in and we will see you on the next episode bye do you want to say bye 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 <laughs>